Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Peter Wesley Salmon. <laughs> Coming to everyone live and in person from... Uh, old the, Ottawa. From Old Ottawa. Yeah. Uh, the you- capital. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> Are you the capital of anything, Guelph? Huh? I well, don't it, think so. It is the royal city, but yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. And we are a monarchical society, so I guess you're actually uh, above. <laughs> Guelph is above Ottawa. Let's not go that far. Uh, but you know, royal stuff is is going to be the theme of today. So, end credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new Shakespearean adaptation, The Tragedy of Macbeth, which you can now stream on Apple TV+, Plus, which I don't say very often. But that will be in the back half of the show. For the first half, we are going to... Uh, since we're doing a Shakespeare review, we are going to talk about some of the other Shakespeare adaptations. You can stream on uh, various streaming sites right now if you don't if you don't want to splurge on Apple TV Plus, which uh, understandable, but uh, I guess you could get the free preview. Anyway, uh, Peter, uh, you're you're kind of a literature nerd, aren't you? You you kind of are you you've ensconced <laughs> yourself in the Shakespearean uh, uh, I don't know about Shakespearean, but I, yeah, I've read a I've read a good amount. I I have some knowledge about literature. <laughs> it's uh, it's mainly my <laughs> wife that uh, is very good at that, and she watched it with me, so that did uh, that mm-hmm. definitely helped. But yeah, I know I've had to read. Yeah, definitely way too many. Uh, well, not, yeah, in my opinion, way too many Shakespeare's. But uh, <laughs> no, there's there's some greats there. There's some greats. <laughs> I mean, he has like maybe two dozen plays. It's not like he was, you know, uh, L. Ron Hubbard who wrote like three hundred thousand words a week. So the <laughs> cheapers. Um. Yeah, your wife just she. she published a book or she helped out on a book that was recently published let's plug that yes first. she did um oh sorry i didn't um, mean to catch you unawares but <laughs> yes so lawrence hill has just released a new book one sec i am blanking on its title but i have it right in front of me as all of you could one sec here <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving all of this in. <laughs> Beatrice and Croc Harry is a new release from Lawrence Hill. And yes, my PhD candidate wife, Mackie Salmon, took a role, as did my bunny, Sawyer. So yes, I think everybody should go and buy old Beatrice and Croc Harry, Lawrence Hill. Order candidate, y'all. So yeah, Beatrice and Croc Harry. <laughs> buy it. I feel like we should get paid for that ad, but that's okay. Um, well, let's get back to Shakespeare and uh, our top threes. Uh, Peter, why don't you kick us off with your first pick? Yeah, so if it's okay, I am doing it three to one. So my third favorite is West Side Story, Ooh. 1961. I have yet to see the 2021, but I, you know, I, I would pick it, I'm assuming, if I saw it. It looks, it looks outstanding. But uh, West Side Story, 1961 film, and it's just, it's stunning. The thing is, I picked it because I love the play. I've seen it in Stratford. I've seen it in Toronto. 
and it's in my opinion even better than Romeo and Juliet. I you know I prefer the music there and that dancing. Um, and yeah, the, the film West Side Story from based on the reviews, I don't think it's as good as the current, but you know I love uh, Robert Wise and all his other works. Um, mm-hmm. Sound of Music is one, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it was phenomenal. I uh, thought the casting was great too. You know, uh, Natalie Wood was one of them. Mm-hmm. She was a great. Uh, she was great in it. I think that's another reason. It's also one of the only uh, Natalie Wood films that I've seen. So it's good to, you know, I, I would recommend it to anyone if they haven't seen any of her works. It's a really good representation of uh, her diversity. You know, it wasn't just acting. She could rock out some dance in there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Richard Bamer is Tony. It's just great cast. Great plot. I uh, think it's also perfect for anybody who, like me, is not a huge fan of the actual just you know Shakespeare literature or honestly if you have trouble understanding it I would I would say yeah West Side Story you'll get pretty much the exact same look at uh, Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. I mean it's, when it's, it comes to the importance like the theme yeah it's very obvious Rome it's not very obviously Romeo and Juliet based um yeah, a, a classic's a classic for a reason. I mean, and it's I think it's one of those musicals too that even people who don't like musicals or aren't particularly predisposed to seeking out musicals can agree it's a really great musical. It's like I mean, it, it's it was sort of untouchable for a reason. It's untouchable. Like it the only the only person who could have touched it is Steven Spielberg. He's the only one who was allowed to sort of revisit that sacred ground. Um even it's like the most obvious thing that uh, he did was cast actual Puerto Rican actors for the Puerto Rican. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the, the flaw of the uh, old one we're discussing. Um, mm. Did you uh, happen to see that West side stories? No, I was no, neither of us. Uh, it was, I mean, it came out right as Omicron was kicking up and it, it just, I mean, I would have, I definitely would have saw it if, uh, if it wasn't for public health concerns, but. I mean, it is what it is. Um, okay, I'll follow your lead and start. Go three, two, one. Um, I put a TV show that's not necessarily based on Shakespeare, but it's based around Shakespeare. It is on CBC Gem, and I've been hitting the CBC Gem hard lately because there's actually yeah, a lot of good great. stuff on there. Yeah, yo, kids in the hall, all of it. Yeah, yeah. If you want to pay for Prime and see all kids in the hall? Check it right there. And speaking of kids in the hall. Uh, this come this came from one of the kids in the hall slings and arrows uh which uh is 18 episodes three seasons um so you could probably plow through in a day if you're really if you really really wanted to maybe maybe you could take two days um but it is based around the new burbage festival which is uh kind of coded to be the stratford festival um each season is sort of built around uh the one Shakespeare play, like the marquee play they're putting on that season. So in the first season, it is a Hamlet in the second season, it is Macbeth. And in the third season, it's King Lear. It's Paul Gross who plays the artistic director of the festival. Um, There are a lot of great Canadian actors. Don McKellar has a role in it. Mark, um, Mark McKinney, who is one of the kids in the hall, uh, said, but he was also, 
Yeah, you know, he is. And he was a co-writer yeah. on the show, but he also had a part in it. But it's filled with a lot of really great uh, theater actors from Canada, including a couple of people who I think are Stratford Festival veterans. Uh, so they really lend a kind of authenticity to it. Uh, it's about the creative process. It's about the ego. It's about uh, <laughs> the business of of promoting Shakespeare and, uh, you know, theater festivals. Uh, different actors come and go in it. Rachel McAdams is like in the first season. Uh, Sarah Polly comes in in the last season. So it's, uh, you know, a lot of your favorite Canadian friends. And uh, also just, you know, uh, for my uh, fun uh, and enjoyment, uh, my hometown of Georgetown, Ontario, doubled for New Burnbridge. So uh, there's a lot of great <laughs> Georgetown, Ontario porn uh, in nice. there, <laughs> including uh, including some scenes in Yong's restaurant, uh, a, a, a Georgetown staple that serves both Chinese and Canadian food. So uh, check that out if you're in town. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh let's get into Nomoro Dos. What's your number oh, two? Okay. So I wanted to put this as number one, mm-hmm. but I I had to listen to my heart. So I, okay. you, you'll understand. But mm-hmm. my second is Throne of Blood by oh. Akira Kurosawa, 57, right? Nice. Um I was hesitant to pick it since we are doing Macbeth and you know, as, as people will find out is phenomenal as well. Um, but they're different enough. This, you know, not an exact uh, uh, retake on the, you know, the scripting and everything, the exact same words, more a, a retake, a reanalysis of it, mm-hmm. including, you know, uh, Japan information. And it's, uh, I think, the medieval times era. Um, and it's a lot of great actors like uh, Toshiya Mifun, who is a regular in other Kurosawa works. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think uh, if you haven't watched any Kurosawa's, I would this one first. It's you know not too long, like Seven Samurai is kind of long. This one's just you know a pinch above ninety minutes. So if you want to pump out your thirsty for some Kurosawa, I would say Throne of Blood. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, the display of action such that we're going to be discussing the final sword fight, you know, of the tragedy of Macbeth. But mm-hmm. I do want to say that the similar ones in uh, Throne of Blood were also uh, spectacular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Throne of Blood, I would recommend it to all. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is that available anywhere? Like to stream? Yeah, so currently at the University of Guelph, and, you know, I hope I'm not wrong, we still have access to Criterion. So if you're a university student, I believe you can watch it on there. Oh, uh, yeah. If not, it's not that expensive at cinema one um <laughs> but yeah i, I think it, it, if you pay for criterion or a university student you should be able to access it yeah and and you anyone can sign up to subscribe for the criterion channel yeah right? exactly so, yeah. yeah and that's a that's a good channel to subscribe to uh for my number two i have hamlet the 2000 version um from uh michael and I'm going to butcher his name, Michael Almendeos. Um, it's set in modern times. So it's the Denmark Corporation. Uh, Ethan Hawke plays Hamlet. And uh, it, it preserves the Shakespearean dialogue, but it takes place at the turn of the century in New York. So um, there's a lot of interesting adjustments made for the timing. Uh, for instance, uh, Hamlet creates a 
basically a video installation, a media arts uh, installation uh, that uh, he tries to capture the conscience of the king with. And uh, there's, you know, things from the play where people overhear certain things Uh, in this movie, I guess, showing its age. uh, Somebody gets a piece of information from a fax that they should not have seen, um, which is, is fascinating. It's, it's so it seems so dated now, but I'm sure that was somebody was uh, high fiving when they got that idea. It's like, yes, it's going to be a fax machine. But um, yeah, it, it's a killer cast, too, because uh, you get uh, Kyle McLaughlin as um, as the stepfather. Claudius, you get Diane Verona, who's mostly well known for New York theater. And interestingly, she was playing Macbeth, uh, Lady Macbeth in a stage version in the same year that this movie came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's an interesting time. You get Sam Shepard as the, the ghost uh, of Hamlet's father. You have Leah Schreiber, uh, Julia Stiles, who, I mean, had like a, just like a, a run of Shakespeare adaptations at this time uh, with O and 10 things I hate about you. Uh, Jeffrey Wright plays the grave digger. Uh, and, and this, this is what slays me is Bill Murray plays Polonius in it. Um, it's probably the only Shakespeare adaptation with Bill Murray, which. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's interesting casting choice there. Was he good? I thought he was good. Yeah. yeah. I, th- you know, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, once you kind of get off the sticker shock of like Bill Murray reading, shakespearean dialogue it but i mean it was that it was a couple years after rushmore and i guess he was feeling playful and uh (laughs) i mean i'm not sure i mean he was good he was bill murray good i'm not sure he was like shakespeare theater good but um yeah i i I enjoyed it a lot uh him a lot i enjoyed also hamlet a lot it's it's kind of drenched and just doused in melodrama and uh Ethan Hawke is so good, so compelling. I, I love this adaptation. It just it it, it now f- it feels a bit dated. I mean, because of a lot of the turn of the century stuff, but um, I, I think that kind of enhances it. Uh, it's 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 well worth revisiting if you haven't revisited that version in a while. Oh, and you can get it on VOD. You can rent it everywhere. You rent stuff on video on demand. So, alrighty, that brings us to number one so peter what is your number one number one for me and yes nostalgia is a huge part of it Mm -hmm. uh it's a reinterpretation of the 12th night by the amazing andy fickman paul (laughs) bullard 2 right she's the man 2006 (laughs) it's it's a classic i uh, remember yenby was obsessed with amanda Bynes, so that's that's a, a heavy part of a (laughs) <laughs> you know, the reasoning for it is my choice. And it's really fun uh, to see Channing Tatum, you know, at his mm-hmm. uh, his early years, especially analyzing him now and, you know, what he's become. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I guiltily also, he's a, a regular, a happy Gilmore director, you know, he got the Paul Blart. And I, yeah, I, I think I've made that statement before. I do love Happy Gilmore and I uh, love Adam Sandler. So yeah, I love Andy Fickman, mm-hmm. just my connection. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's the man also, I'm looking at the reviews right now. I'm doing a kind of, you know, analysis of it and how it was viewed in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, it got mixed reviews, but apparently, you know, people did view Bynes as uh, doing a really great job. And I think, I think she did. I think if it was just an actual 12th night, she'd be great at playing the, uh, 
the lead role. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Interesting. And, uh, also for me, it was, you know, it was their love. I really, since I like Chaney Tatum, Amanda Bynes, they're loving it kind of helped me to understand that and really, you know, feel those emotions. So I yeah, for- if you're young and you want to, you know, get those feelings, it's a really great film. I forgot. Also Shannon an interesting Tatum. look, uh, interesting look at, you know, sexuality and, you know, int- <laughs> love and interest. It's, it's very, it's interesting. Yeah. And I forgot Channing Tatum was in that. It's interesting to sort of look back at, you know, 12th night now with, um, or anything like based on 12th night, you know, this, this, I, you know, with, uh, discussions about gender identity. Now, if you could kind of do a straight up 12th night, if that was not, uh, maybe a bit taboo, this idea that, you know, um, you couldn't fall in love with someone dressed as a man, as a man. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, that's, uh, and Amanda Bynes is such a unique cultural, cultural artifact. I, I feel like she's kind of disappeared. I mean, cause Hillary, well, she's not, she's not doing so well. Right. Yeah. I mean, Hillary Duff has persevered. Um, and Amanda Bynes is kind of her, I don't know what I'm thinking, but like in terms of like the great tween rivalries, like it was Hillary Duff and Amanda Bynes at, at a, <laughs> for a time yeah, and Hillary well, one of Hillary Duff's sticks is that yeah she she stayed sober and she stayed out of all of the uh you know mental uh, illness and to just ailments that come through you know drug abuse yeah. and everything yeah. Amanda Bynes though it started at such a young age she could just naturally have schizophrenia you know what I mean so mm, I mean yeah. yeah I just it's it's sad uh okay my number one is West Side Story Oh, uh, the same one that I picked. <laughs> the, the 61. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, for the reasons I said, um, I mean, Natalie Wood, it's, uh, she is so great. Um, she's so naturalistic. Again, recognizing <laughs> the problematic of having a, a v- very white woman playing a Puerto Rican character. But mm-hmm. um, there's something about her, because I guess, because she, died when she was 43 so she was still relatively young so she she definitely has that kind of forever young um like presence like she's preserved forever at this this age and um yeah richard bremer as as tony it's such a believable love story it feels so naturalistic the song and dance is great uh even like the the side care like russ tamblin as as tony's friend uh is it riff yes um Russ Tamblin is, is, is always uh, got great energy, um, especially if he has someone to sort of like, he's not great as a leading man, but he's, he's great as, as, as an actor, like acting against someone. And so he's really great here um, playing Tony's friend and uh, Jose de Vega. I mean, it's, it's hard to sort of be menacing when everyone's sort of like kicking up their heels and mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, but he, he, he is sort of genuinely menacing. Um as Charo, uh, as uh, I guess one of the loose cannons of the of the sharks, um, it it you know he he really uh, is great and um, yeah the song and dance I mean it's Leonard Bernstein and uh, Stephen Sondheim um, who recently passed away I mean it's the music is so uh, memorable it gets in your head and I mean that in the best possible way the the music is is so compelling so memorable and robert weiss i mean talk about a career uh this guy 
you know, he did the day the earth stood still. He did sound of music. He did uh, run silent, run deep. He did West side story. He did the haunting. He did star. He did star Trek, the motion picture. Um, and then even like going back to his career as an editor, he, he was like Orson Welles editor. He did citizen Kane, the magnificent Ambersons. Um, so Robert Weiss lived. Um, Robert Weiss is the movies. Um, so yeah, it, it's just it's it's talent beginning to end. And I mean, yeah, it, it's you talked about seeing it in theater, and of course, like the idea of like staging new um, new versions. I mean, that's a very theater thing. But there are some things in in cinema that are still that is sacrosanct. And one of them was West Side Story, which is, um, I, I think. I think one of the things coming out of the Spielberg version is not just that it was well reviewed, that it was really, really well reviewed. Like people were really excited. People who saw it anyway were really excited <laughs> for it. Um, that it managed to capture that energy. But I also think that speaks to also the source material. That um, I mean, not to discount Spielberg's talents, but um, people love this musical, and it's um, it still stands like sixty years after it came out. It's, oh, absolutely! It still clicks. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, well, and especially the casting now, and it actually being you know Puerto Rican actors and such, it'll yeah, you know, its stay is even firmer than it used to be. Yeah, and it's available to stream on Hoopla, which you, uh, you can get if you have your library card. You can get access to the Hoopla streaming library, and um, and uh, she's the man is uh, on YouTube as well. Is it? Yeah, yeah, it's a rent for about like just two ninety nine. Well, that's a steal at twice the price. Yeah. Also, <laughs> like me, if you want, you could just uh, check your DVD shelf. And it should be there. <laughs> Very telling. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I guess that's a good segue to uh, click on the old Apple TV and uh, talk about the tragedy of Macbeth. That is the movie review. We are going to do it next. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. Show me. Here I have a sailor's thumb, wrecked as homeward he did come. <sighs> a drum, a drum. Macbeth did come. Aye, in a sieve I'll do the sail, and like a rat without a tail I'll do, I'll do, and I'll do. I'll drain him, dry as hay. Sleep shall neither night nor day 
hang upon his penthouse lid. He shall live, a man forbid. Weary sun nights, nine times nine, shall he dwindle, peak and pine. The weird sisters, hand in hand, posters of the sea and land, thus to go about, about, thrice to thine, and thrice to mine, and thrice again to make up uh, nine. That was a clip from The Tragedy of Macbeth. It is the new film from writer-director Joel Cohen, and it stars Denzel Washington, Francis McDormand, Alex Hassel, Bertie Carvel, Corey Hawkins, Harry Melling, Catherine Hunter, and Brendan Gleeson. Although, I think between you and me, I think the real star is Catherine Hunter. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, Peter, you... um, noted shakespeare buff that you are uh <laughs> I, am not, to- <laughs> I am not a shakespeare buff but yeah i know i've, I've read a decent amount yeah you have to you you literally have the like you got the same degree as me you, you definitely would have had to read a good amount as well but um i i this is one of the things that i love to do where i make sure i have no knowledge about the film it was only the title i got right Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was going to be a, a reinterpretation, like the three examples I gave. Um, but I was I was delighted to see that it is like just word for word the play. Um, it had been a while, like I said, since I've read a Shakespeare. And, you know, you could say what you want about uh, about him. But uh, the one thing that you, you can't get wrong is that he did advance uh, literature all around. I forget what the term is, but there's a couple in Macbeth that were uh, through him for the very first time. Mm hmm. And uh, also one of the main reasons, uh, as you know, by which I mean the main reason, is Denzel <laughs> Washington is absolutely my uh, favorite actor. I, I love him uh, to pieces. Uh, Malcolm X, Fences was spectacular. And uh, it as well, Fences, based on a Harlem play. So mm-hmm. it, I was very interested to see him in another adaptation of it because he's, yeah, he's phenomenal. And Frances McDormand, my wife is obsessed with her. I, I love Frances <laughs> McDormand. She's also amazing you know nomad land i thought i thought i i have mixed views towards it but oh. she objectively was uh outstanding in it yeah um, yeah i could agree with that. Macbeth all around is yeah uh notable that denzel washington has done one other shape at least in the movies i don't know all his theater credits but he's done one other movie adaptation uh, for Shakespeare, he was in Kenneth Branagh's. I think he was in Kenneth Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing. I think that was oh, the other one he was in. Um, yeah, it's interesting because it's Joel Cohen on his own. Uh, no Ethan. Uh, well, he even said that Ethan had no interest in this sort of thing. No, and that's that. I mean, that I find that interesting. I find it interesting that I think this is. I mean, they have adapted things before the Coen brothers, like No Country for Old Men was an adaptation, uh, but they typically favor... Just originality, right? Like, I don't think yeah. Fargo is based on anything prior. No, Fargo isn't based... Like, I, I think yeah. the, the only one... Well, True Grit, too. Um, but by and large, when they do that, they kind of take something and make it their own. Um, so it's very, very weird for them to not just, like, sort sort of, like... Joel on his own doing something that has been done before, but also just kind of straight up taking the words. Um, I will say this is from what I remember, but 
actually studying Macbeth is this very abridged. Uh, it's it's on it's 105 minutes, and I'm just gonna say, if you could do Macbeth in 105 minutes, you can do anything in 105 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's but I mean, it makes it tight. It makes it like you you're just kind of like fired off and you go through this story. Oh, you're enjoying the whole ride. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it makes it very, very compelling. It also makes it very, very like off putting, which like so much of this movie is, is, is like built to be off putting um, from like the beginning scene, like just from like the straight up beginning scene where you're looking up and watching birds circle overhead and then the mist comes out and it dissolves into looking down as the, the captain is walking across the snow to to report in it's um you know you're immediately your point of view is immediately like just flipped upside down maybe because i've seen the trailer for bel-air too many times i'm literally quoting it but (laughs) you know so you're immediately just on a back foot and then you go from this opening scene where he's reporting to the king duncan to the the weird sisters who in this is one weird sister who kind of puts on different affects depending on which sister is talking, at least until the um, Banco and Macbeth roll up and they encounter her. And then there's this really great scene where she's standing in front of a pool and on either side of her is the reflection of the other two sisters. I was going and, to mention that that that's the first time that I realized, okay, there's some great <laughs> cinematography here. That's yeah. come on now. That's impressive. Yeah. It was really, uh, I don't think like when, when the witches are, are usually done in Macbeth story, it's like very, very, you know, pointy hat kind of. Well, it's witches. like focus focus style, right? This, it is. This, is, this yes. is a really great new, look of witches it's something that is actually scary as witches are supposed to be i would um, love to see a version of macbeth with that midler kathy to jimmy and sarah jessica yeah. parker as the witches <laughs> and Catherine hunter i can see why she's a stage uh, actor um uh, the physical that she was able to oh, do yeah. like the stretches of her arms was outstanding she yeah. might have like a i don't know like a bone marrow issues I, I don't know but she was able to do some <laughs> real wild twistings you know of her limbs which was it was great Oh yeah, no, no. It, she is um, very good. I, I think she's like part of like a some sort of theater company where you know they're very much about, about like performing um, the, the physical the physicality of performance. Um, so yeah, she is really really good uh, because there's something ethereal about her, but also she is still kind of very down to earth as well because she's a real person and there's there's so much expression in her face and in the different voices she uses um but i mean again it, it's you you encounter her and there's something like sort of very immediately off-putting it's like oh my god who is this and why are they here <laughs> what is all this miss doing <laughs> yeah no no absolutely um yeah, no, she was stunning. And also, uh, I, I don't think it's a spoiler. She does portray another individual also uh, in a great way. And I think the input of her voice into that character is also very well done. Well, I think that's um, purposeful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that, that the, the, she would turn up in another capacity later. But I, so, so much about this is, I mean, they're following the text, but they're kind of not doing the obvious things with it um 
there's some parts they're leaving out. I think yeah. that in the plays, one of the things maybe missing a pinch is uh, more of a look at Lady Macbeth's descent into insanity. I think yeah, that's near the missing, end, yeah. they show her hanging out with that fountain. But in the play, there is a lot more scenes like that, including just that fountain and its importance. Um, they did a great job displaying it visually but there could have been a bit more scenes dealing with that absolutely that's the thing that suffers the most is like her descent of madness um like it, it kind of just happens that you know, that famous like out, out out damn spot scene um it's just like okay i guess lady Macbeth is crazy now it because alternatively the it does a really great job of letting denzel just you know lay it on like Macbeth. like Macbeth doesn't descended to madness but it, he does descend into tyranny i think it's fair to say and, and that kind of looks like madness at least the way denzel portrays it um the scene where oh, he's chasing a very good way yeah. yeah where he's chasing like the phantom down the hall he thinks like somebody's been led into the castle and um he's he, you know he's caught in this room fighting essentially a bird <laughs> who's floating yeah well and you can see how he's become more narcissistic or focused just on his title uh mm. the first time that he sits in the chair and just the way he like bends his head down and like kind of slouches it's it's you didn't see him doing that before you know what i mean he he mm. he really he went too hard into the whole i'm a king thing now um yeah yeah some narcissism there it's interesting. Yeah, and I just thought it was a great shot. Yeah, and what he looks like when he sits down in the chair for the first time, you know, I, I was thinking of Cersei, but what he looks even more like <laughs> is the king of Rohan when you first see him. Oh, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. he's sitting in the chair and it's like that. You can see the Lord Macbeth from the beginning has, he, he's changed. He has changed. You know, he shouldn't yeah. listen to those witches. Yeah, I mean, fair lesson. Uh, but What's interesting is the way it plays with the, the typical ideas about the ambition of this couple. Um, I mean, it also has to do with like hiring, like I was going to say senior citizens, but they're not quite senior citizens, but they're both in their sixties. Uh, like having an older couple, typically they're portrayed like much younger. And so there, there are all sorts of things that come with ambition um, when you're younger um, that don't necessarily come with your, you know, when you're older. And I find some of these implications probably the most, like it's, it's, it's a fascinating choice to hire two actors in their sixties to play these characters, because, you know, what, what are they trying to get out of this? You know, they're hypothetically, at least in terms of like conventional thinking, they should be past all this sort of like petty power grab stuff but here they are like right in the thick of it so where does this come from does it come from just like hey here's a witch who says i'm going to be king one day cool let me let's make it happen um or you know does it come from they've lived a life i mean some Macbeth ad adaptations and i was reading about this sort of imply more than others that they had a child who they lost and um, oh, okay. so, so that um, they like they don't have much to live for so what do they leave behind kind of the only thing they have left is sort of like uh lift themselves up from this station i mean they're they're noble people but they're not like top tier noble people mm -hmm. so that's maybe kind of where the ambition yeah maybe the reason of leaving that out is to make uh it's McDuff who McDuff and his loss of family it made that uh even more of a, a standout i would say I mean, that could be it, too. 
Uh, that's definitely a part of it. Although I yeah, that maybe that's just an excuse old Cohen could pull out, you know. But uh, but uh, that would that would make sense to me. That would make sense to me. Although I'm not sure Corey Corey Hawkins kind of stuck out like a sore thumb to me. It's not necessarily anything he did wrong, um, but I I I, I don't know. I uh, he was not. <laughs> he was not one of the the players that is kind of anyway uh nothing against him uh although i did like harry melling as as uh as malcolm i thought he was i i thought he was enjoyably smarmy yeah yes he was oh he was phenomenal um the second i saw him i, I almost you know started freaking out it deadly <laughs> dursley is he's amazing right I think he's he, awesome. That, that's how we're supposed to view him, right? Like the, <laughs> since the first one, I related heavily to him. He's, he's, you know, he's great. I just want to say, I think, I think Harry Melling is trying to distance himself from Dudley. And uh, he actually pulls it off in this. He's weirdly, <laughs> he's a little, you know, he's rich and you can kind of tell, but he, uh, he actually cares about the kid that he's trying to help. You know what I mean? And he actually, sure. he's strong. He's, his horse is the one that runs in first, I believe, you know, mm-hmm. to, uh, kill old Macbeth. So I, I really respected him in that sense. Yeah. He's not, uh, he hasn't been fully firmly characterized as some spoiled little chubby brat. I just, I, that, I think that's the reason I, and I was reading this of that, you know, he didn't show up for the Harry Potter reunion and it's not because he has a beef with anyone. It's just because he, he's worked pretty hard to put some distance between him and, Oh yeah. And oh, Dudley, absolutely. So. He's like a Batista and how he deals with the WWE, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah I refuse to, to ever take any uh, past part in it. Unlike you rock and, and Johnny, uh, uh, Johnny Cena. Yeah. Old Johnny. Old good old Johnny. Yeah. No, Harry, Harry Mellon. And what I was really stunned with is how much he was in it. I, uh, I, I, <laughs> From the very beginning, since it's him, right? I was part of the problem, and I mm. thought he was just like the wine holder for a Gleason. Like he was just, <laughs> you know, like that guy. Um, but no, he was he was great. He proved me wrong with the courage he held. Well, I think that's the point. Is that you know, Macbeth sort of sees him as like a lesser. And th- there's that scene where Malcolm is sort of given that extra title. Um, that that kind of like seals Duncan's fate because uh, Denzel has this look on his face. It's Macbeth. Like, really, this guy? Come on. <laughs> so there, there's a there's a there's a bit of like jealousy there. I mean, it's I think it's also heavily implied that Malcolm is not kind of one of the guys leading troops into battle. While you know, and, and this this also enhances um, the the thing with. Uh, Denzel's age and he's probably seen many battles and led many men into battles and you know to see this punk kid get you know the the royal seal of approval to eventually take over for the king is one of the things that contributes to the to the uh, the decision to commit regicide yeah oh absolutely um, other than him I just want to say all around the mm-hmm. casting casting was one of the things I was most impressed with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, stand up for me too with Stephen Root, who I love from uh, <laughs> classic comedies, you know, he's in the good old dodgeball and uh, Brooklyn nine, nine. Um, and he did great. You know, he did great. And I, I'm looking through him right now. He's also in Oh brother. Where art thou? Yeah. So I, I, I was actually surprised to see him, but that that's on me. He's, he's a regular for the Coens. That's on me. Yeah, and um, I mean, the, the, there's still it was this a small role, but he, it, I think that's kind of what I'm trying to say. Even a, a small appearance from someone like him is is done great. It, it, it's 
if it was like a stage play, I'd, I'd absolutely go and see it just to see all these actors. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing about this too. I mean, it's, it combines both like cinematic aspects with um, sort of the feeling of a staging. I mean, cause it was all shot on a soundstage. This- exactly. Yeah. And you can see a lot of the times you can tell that it's a fake background, but it's one that is just absolutely beautiful. Like a painting you'd see in, mm-hmm. uh, in a museum. And I think what I loved is it was minimal mm-hmm. and presented in a black and white way. So you always focus on, you know, the dialogue and what's going on there, but such a beautiful you know, form of minimalism, you know, it, it was, yeah. stunning. It, it seemed like the kind of, you know, home that would be inside a, one of those earth art things, you know, like the, something that, that Kanye would, would Kanye West. Yay. My apologies. <laughs> Whoa. It, it's the kind of thing that I think, I don't think have, he listens to the show. Yay would have, well, <laughs> we don't know. Yay would uh, absolutely love minimal, <gasps> but, but beautiful. Very, uh, very great job on the architecture for this film. I also, yeah. And, and a lot of rule of third usage, but not in a like kind of shoved in your face way. I, I found that it was also similar to what a Kaufman uh, film would be like, or at least um, uh, Cindy, uh, Cindy, Cindy York, New York, um, mm. that film. It, it was, it was great. Well, also like Igmar Bergman. Um, I mean, the whole, <laughs> the whole thing with the witch and like the, the, like the black tunic, you know, feels very seventh seal. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I, I did notice that as well, like in these scenes in the castle where you think there'd be all sorts of like tapestries and ornate statues and couches and fireplaces and things. It's it's like very minimal. It's uh, it's a big empty, which, again, adds to, you know, the off put off puttingness because it's like it, it almost feels like it's taking place in somebody's head it's this (laughs) yeah exactly no it intertwines perfectly with the uh mental deterioration that a lot of the characters uh face right Mm -hmm. uh and it's different forms whether it be you know a rise in narcissism or or like um uh mcduff the loss of your family um Mm -hmm. even though minimal Mm -hmm. something i noticed is how uh how particular the the the, the just just the form and what it's made out of um let's see what's a good example i found it very similar to phantom thread how mm. even though the costume design and the architecture was minimal it was so well done you could see each little you know gravel and the in the cement wall you know it's little how it's not perfectly flat and mm. how i actually noticed it most on the old man his threads and how you could see every single little one weave together i just mm. found that the costume design and the not just minimal minimalism of it but the the small specifics within the minimal structures were all outstanding yeah it, it is like costume is a big thing like you, you notice in on ross uh the character of ross is kind of like this kind of go between and i uh, granted i it's been a while since i sat down and read Macbeth, but i i don't remember that character very well but he's made no, kind of all all important in this as kind of like a go between where he's able to kind of like go and be a minion of Macbeth while at the same time work against Macbeth and he saves uh banco's son uh, as well and there's there's that plot detail well uh, yeah and i think that's kind of 
what his whole point's supposed to be, right? He's, you know, saying he's with Macbeth, he's not with Macbeth, but he's focusing on Banquo's child and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think he's kind of a representation similar to, I think he might have been, you know, equivalent of uh, monks and people, you know, yes. or anything who focus on the people and the social issues that are going on, not, uh, you know, whoever the, the cane is you're supposed to follow. There is something very monkish about him yeah. um, with the, like the, the dark tunic he wears. Um, he has this kind of like his, his hair is cut very short, but he has this very sort of pointed beard. Like it's almost like a Van Dyke, but it's a full beard. Um, mm-hmm. And he has like the long sleeves too, these kind of like drapey kind of sleeves that make you think about wings, which is interesting when you get to the end where it's implied he's like, one of the crows he turns into a crow at the end so it's like he a supernatural creature that's uh which adds to the whole thing because the whole witch's mm-hmm. prophecy is like Macbeth, you're gonna be king and you banco your son is gonna um launch a line of kings mm-hmm. and it's like well who saves the king who launches the line of kings it is uh ross so is he kind of like a an independent agent in all this, or is he kind helping to manipulate things so that, uh, you know, get Duncan out of the way so that, you mm-hmm. know, Banco's line can then eventually become, uh, the, the, you know, I think in some plays, I, I remember learning this in English class at some point, like apparently like some plays show the line of Kings, um, in a vision to Macbeth where he sees the line of Kings all the way down to James the first. And, you know, so th- there's a certain element of, uh, or I, I guess a question of like free will versus like, d- d- was like, would Macbeth have killed the king if the witches hadn't said anything? Um, or did he still have some heart left in him? Yeah. And like, or was this all this orchestrated by the witches to set certain things in motion? It's, it's curious and and the film plays with that very very well the some of these ideas about free will versus um not free will i don't know what the opposite of free will is i'm kind of blanking (laughs) fate fate i guess is the opposite of free will yeah oh absolutely and it it really yeah it displays both of those uh themes in a great way Yeah. yeah yeah so it's it's something that i think joel joel cohen Mm-hmm. did a heck of a good job on and no offense to the other guy whatever his name is ethan or something ethan I hope cohen joel, <laughs> i hope ethan or whatever i hope joel cohen really continues on and does more uh honestly i'd be okay if he just became one of those play adaptation guys because this was this was stunning and you know it's not set in the west and all cowboy stuff so i mean that is yeah. what i mean that is interesting it, you know what is the the future of yeah, that exactly. partnership. And I think this is a uh, film that helps you look at that and what it could possibly be and maybe give you a, a side, you know? Yeah. Maybe there's going to be more division between the Coens and this is a good way to pick, pick your side. Yeah. And it's <laughs> pick a side. <laughs> <laughs> like it's going to be a Cohen civil war. Um, it's already begun. <laughs> don't know if it's begun because i don't know what he just but i mean it is interesting it is it's uh francis mcdormand of course is joel's wife as well so i guess i guess he gets her in the separation um oh that's true mm. <laughs> but yeah 
I, I do have some questions of that about that too. And again, I, I find it interesting that this is sort of like what what Joel decides to sort of strike out on his own. Of course, I also noted, and I was happy to hear film spotting agree with me on this, that essentially Macbeth is a Coen Brothers movie written 400 years ago because it's about uh, somebody who's not as smart as they think they are doing a crime, thinking that they're going to get ahead and then having it all blow up in their face, which is of course like the plot of like 90% of the Coen Brothers movies. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's Fargo. Just there's no woodshed. It's, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's, Lund- it's yeah. Macbeth is Lundergarten. He's, he's Josh Brolin in no country for old men. Um, he's the dude. Uh, well, I mean, the dude wasn't really trying to get ahead anyway, but, or I guess. Well, he not, didn't want to admit that he was. Yeah. But I mean, he wanted to be ahead of anybody else who kind of represented nothing in slacker style, sort of, sort of living. Right. So it, right. It's, yeah, it's similar as well. And you could argue like, is Macbeth a slacker that, you know, cause he's, <laughs> he's still, you know, a, a low level nobleman at this time in his life. And he, he, he sees a way to get ahead quick and yeah, somebody no, plants it, an idea in his head and away he goes. Mm-hmm. No, it brings forth a lot of the same themes and questions that uh, the other Cohen works do, which uh, also makes it maybe interesting to look back and be like, Hey, is that, that was definitely, that was a jewel thing right there, you know? Mm-hmm. And notice some elements that are maybe different and see if that's maybe more like Ethan. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you can pick your side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would also say, if it's possible, Mm -hmm. as I mentioned, there's so much visual specifics. If you have a 4K TV, I would try and and watch it on that bad boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, 8K, that's too much. (laughs) I would say. I would say like I am kind of disappointed that I couldn't see this in a theater because I feel like this is like with the black and white and everything is so textual and so eerie and like Carter Burwell's music in this too also has like this kind of unsettling effect it's just um, sort of there to be there trapped in a movie theater um, with this movie would be such a what would be such a great experience I would be like seeing seeing a play in person right it's it's why I think it's sad that you know, we didn't and maybe won't be able to see West Side Story also in theaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, there is that kind of, you're right, that part of the communal, um, the communal experience, which is what, you know, going seeing a play is, you know, you, you can't replicate, you could, I guess you could theoretically watch, you know, uh, a taped performance at home on streaming like Hamilton or Come From Away or whatever, but um yeah, watching a play is a uniquely communal experience, and um, I mean, movies used to be too, but now it's more and more to the streaming side. But I just, I just like this particular. Uh, I mean, West Side Story is kind of a, a more crowd pleasing thing, but I mean, going into the tragedy of Macbeth and being there with a crowd, like this earwig of kind of a movie experience, you know, where you kind of need the comfort of other people. You know, maybe being alone in your house is the wrong way or maybe the right way, I guess, maybe depending on what your what you feel like your limitations are. Maybe being alone in your house has the exact same or, or a similar kind of uh, earwig effect. But um, I, I, I do I do I do wish I could have seen this on like a big screen and been able to drink in all those details. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, for sure. It is what it is. Yeah, I would say it's still worth a watch for sure. 
Oh, it's definitely worth seeing. I think it's probably the best thing on Apple TV Plus right now. Yeah. Oh, oh by far. By far. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't think of anything else I got. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe some of the peanut stuff, but um. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's 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 interesting. Um, Macbeth. Um, not. I mean, it's well known as a Shakespeare play, and it seems it it does get uh, adapted a lot. But I mean, it, I think there's also a lot of really great opportunities and different directions people can take. There was the the one a couple of years ago with uh, Michael Fassbender and Marianne Cotillard. Um, so I mean, it, it seems a little bit more flexible than some of the other Shakespeare tragedies. So it, I mean, it's we're kind of making it sound like we're English lit nerds and we're very obviously not, but I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of fascinating direction you can take with this. And um, I can't think of, you know, maybe the last time there was a Shakespeare adaptation that there, that was like kind of this, like energetic was probably the, the Lerman Romeo and Juliet, which um, didn't make other of our lists, but I mean, in terms of, you know, being able to interpret the material and, um, delivers something that is tight and uh, makes it feel fresh and new. Oh, um, and very that, theatrical. And very theatrical as well. That's, yeah, yeah. It's, it, Romeo and Juliet's definitely theatrical. Oh, yeah. um, well, that version anyway. Not that it's not theatrical because it's a literal theatrical play, but um, <laughs> but in terms of like capturing the energy of the thing and being able to translate it into a new medium, it is very much an adaptation. You're not watching a play on on the screen, but it does capture that sort of raw um, the- theatrical energy and, and the excitement. Able to- the yeah. excitement, right? It's, yeah. No, it's one of the Shakespeare plays that's the focus is excitement. I, you know, I prefer Twelfth Night because it's it's comedy, but this, <laughs> yeah, and I think like you were kind of saying, this is a great first for anybody who hasn't read much Shakespeare and is more of a fan of something their mind's going to focus solely on and it's going to bring them some some thrills you know some thrills and and some pain and some you know even some fear with the with those witches and that sword fight at the end i we didn't i don't think we got around to talking about it too much but like the the sword fight uh yeah i i kind of i mentioned it briefly when i was discussing throne of blood because of how Mm -hmm. great it is the throne of blood Mm -hmm. uh just as good just as good in the tragedy of Macbeth. that sword fight at the end is yeah it's outstanding and it's, I, tight, um, and it's tight quarters too and <laughs> not to spoil it too but like it ends with uh the crown uh Macbeth loses the crown in the fight and he bends down to pick it up and that leaves him open and uh i i mean the the message isn't subtle but it was a it was a great scene just the same <laughs> yeah and there's the one combat scene right before it we're here yes um, he fights yes. someone else and the other guy's using a sword and Macbeth is just using his fist. And it is so, it is so cool. It's a great, it's just like straight up action film right there. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's really good. And it's so it's, 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 it's staged so great when like the, the doors open and the leaves blow in and he's in a rage. It's yeah. It's uh, mm. I could watch it again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I probably will for sure. I'll wait right. a few years until I kind of forget some themes in it. And <laughs> can do a reanalysis. Peter, you do you, and we have to 
<laughs> we have to move on. Uh, that is it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to listen to it again, you can find it on our website, endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. You can just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU to find that playlist. We are also on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Peter, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me as Mr. Tarak on YouTube and Twitter. And I just want to say one last time, uh, Beatrice and Croc Harry by Lawrence Hill is a new book. My wife, Mackie Salmon, is a huge part of it. And I recommend it to all. So, perfect. yeah. Yeah, perfect. Uh- <laughs> got to get those plugs in uh speaking of which i will be back here on cfru thursday at 5 p.m for news and politics on open sources guelph with scotty hertz in the meantime i'm on twitter and instagram at adam a donaldson and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca stay tuned for more great programming here on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio we shall return next wednesday at 3 p.m with another edition of end credits and we will see you then.